0: Hey everyone, welcome to another CJ and the Duke. As always, I'm your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedoric.
1: And I am Corey CJ Wesley.
0: No sponsors today because we have a very special guest from Mothership, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brad Tilton. Brad, how are you? Hello, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you being here. Absolutely. So I'm pretty sure everybody knows who Brad Tilton is, but just in case, why don't you give a brief introduction? Sure.
2: I am a senior developer advocate with a developer program at ServiceNow. And what that means is I am talking to ServiceNow developers a lot. And when I say ServiceNow developer, I mean anybody who's building stuff on ServiceNow. So you may not think of yourself as a hardcore developer or quote unquote developer, but anybody building something on ServiceNow, I think is a developer, no matter what your level of coding is. So I've been in this role for coming up on two years. I've been at ServiceNow for about five years. And before that, I spent eight years in the ecosystem as a customer admin and developer. And then I was with a partner for a while doing all sorts of things. So I've been in the ecosystem since 2008. And it's been a lot of fun to watch everything grow and have some relationships that have been really long in the ecosystem as well.
0: Actually, one thing, what do you do at ServiceNow actually?
2: Yeah. So at ServiceNow, I'm a developer advocate. So I work with a developer program. I've also done some technology partner, technical advisory stuff. And then I've worked in the outbound product team for our platform, which is now our Creator Workflows product. So right now I'm with the developer program. So I am working with developers who are building apps on the platform.
1: I love the way that you said, like a developer to you is anyone who is just building anything on the platform. I think imposter syndrome, right, is a little rampant in the tech industry, right, because some this stuff comes really easy to some folks and some folks it doesn't. And the easier it comes to you and the better you are at it, it seems like the more prone you are to thinking that you're missing something. And so letting everyone know that if you're out there and you're working on the platform and you're building anything, it doesn't matter how complex or how simple, you're a developer. And just dive in on that, right, own that and continue to upgrade your skill set.
2: I totally agree. There's lots of different ways to get into it, too, which is a lot of fun. You know, you've got people that are maybe designers or front end people that don't have a lot of formal development expertise that kind of get in through service portal or whatever the front end development tool of the time is and then end up doing other things. You have people that come in because they're PowerShell experts and they've done a bunch of orchestration and then they get into other things. And so, you know, there's lots of different ways to get into building apps uh, on the platform and automating things. And it's really more about how much time you want to spend learning and how interested you are in it is probably the biggest hurdle rather than having formal development experience, which I don't have any. I, I don't have a computer science degree or
1: anything like that. No way. Yeah, you couldn't have told me that. No, uh, no way. I like... just like, whoosh, I'm
0: like, doing <laughs> what the house next. <laughs> wow.
1: You know, I I say this as someone who sat through like, you know, one of your knowledge sessions in the past and you couldn't have sold me that you don't have a degree in this stuff. (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, I I think that's really just, kind of the power of the platform, right? If you are interested
2: in learning it, there are lots of different ways to learn. And I was on the service desk and always loved doing web development type things and you know, had the opportunity. They were like, hey, we need somebody to learn this new platform that we're going to be using. And I volunteered for it. And That's how I got into it. It was just really me getting in there and, and doing some learning over the years. Nice. Okay, great for
0: you.
1: Yeah. So great for everyone out there listening without a degree, too. I mean, that's a great aspiration, inspiration.
0: No doubt. Can we just go on a tangent here? Because when I think back over my 13 year career strips now and all the people that I've, you know, got to rub shoulders with and just the prodigious amount of talent that has put this ecosystem up on its back and run for that touchdown, there's almost a visible relationship between the people who are so excellent that I've met and not having a Traditional comp sci degree or development background. Do you guys ever feel like HR departments kind of they look too hard for what they think they should be looking for that they miss this forest through the trees? Yeah, I think
2: uh, I think that that can happen. You know, if you look at some job descriptions and, and you look at some of the requirements, and they don't actually match up with what somebody actually needs for that job, whether it's a developer, or admin, or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, I think there is absolutely some of that out there. And yeah, I mean, you you don't have to have a lot of deep programming knowledge to build apps and be successful. Again, I think it's really more about what you're willing to spend time on learning. And one of the reasons I really like this ecosystem and the platform itself is that you can come into it with different backgrounds. And especially on larger teams, it's really nice to have a diversity of background and have people that have direct process expertise that are coming in and learning the technology. And then you have some people that are really deep coding and their, their learning process. And, you know, it's great to have a combination of all of those skill sets on the team.
1: Absolutely. Right. Like, I, I love to have a diverse team like that. They all bring like something different based on their background in various places. And it, it helps bring additional value to the client in my experience.
0: So we're recording this on October 18th. And I understand there is this thing called Hacktoberfest going on. And I know that the DevMVP program is a lot of people heavily involved in that. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, so
2: Hacktoberfest is an event that runs every October. It's been around for a number of years. I I don't remember which I mean, how many how many times. It's been around. I think we've done this as maybe our fourth or fifth year as the ServiceNow developer program participating. But Hacktoberfest is an event. It's sponsored by DigitalOcean, and it encourages participation in the open source community overall, not just ServiceNow. And we have been participating and giving ServiceNow developers a, a way to participate. And we have to do four things to qualify to get the swag from DigitalOcean, which as a t-shirt and stickers and some other things. And so we're trying to give ServiceNow developers a place where they can contribute to Hacktoberfest And, you know, earn some of those points. So we actually have a blog up at devlink.sn slash Hacktoberfest. And that blog is really the best place to go if you're interested in participating. It's got a link to the Hacktoberfest website where you can register. And then it's got links to the five ways that we as the ServiceNow Developer Program are participating in a Hacktoberfest. And those are the big push this year is our code snippets uh, repository there's a link to that on that blog post but this is a way for you to take a look at some of our apis that may not be very well documented or They may be documented. They may not have examples on how to use them. And you can go in there and write a little code snippet for how to use that API and submit that. And that counts towards your Hacktoberfest participation. We've got uh, a way for you to build an app in App Engine Studio and then sync that to GitHub and then link to it from one of our repos. Uh, You can do integration hub spokes, instant scan checks, and then also any syntax editor macros uh, that you want to participate. So those are our five primary ways of participating this year. We've actually gotten, I think we're at four or five x more participation this year than we've ever had, and a lot of that is because nice. of Earl Duque, our newest developer advocate, built this really cool code snippets repo that has integration into the S and Devs Slack community, where you can do a lot of things in there through this uh, Slack integration. So I'd encourage everybody to check out that blog post. Uh, It's the best way to get in there and get involved. You still have till the end of the month to make your four approved pull requests. And uh, those can be on all five of the different ways we have to participate. They can just be on one of them. Any four pull requests against a Hacktoberfest repository will work. And it's, it's pretty easy to get involved. At this point, there's a lot of history. You can go in there and look at what everybody's doing and, and do something yourself. And so I would encourage everybody, no matter what you think your level is in service now, there should be a way for you to get to those four pull requests in Hacktoberfest still in October.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the blog now. And i looked at it previously as one of the things that prompted me to reach out to you to actually to be on the show. And I mean, this, is this is just awesome. And you know, going in and looking at the GitHub with the code snippets. I mean, like, this is amazing. (laughs) Like, I don't know, like, I'm literally, I'm literally having like a geek out moment right here, just looking at all of this stuff. And I don't know, it reminds me of old school wiki combined with, I don't know, like all of the best insights mined from the community with all of that, all of that code exchanging, right? Just kind of taken out and distilled down and put into one place so that you can then go and, and just peruse like some of the cool stuff that people have built. This is awesome. Like, There's an entry in here for an Excel parser. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just looking through this stuff and I'm, I'm like super excited for this. I'm, I'm definitely going to get my um, four um, pull requests in before the end of the month so I can get my swag, but I think I'm going to be contributing to the code snippets as well and probably doing a lot of review there as well. I and mean, this is just really, really awesome stuff. If you're you haven't checked this stuff out, definitely, I'd, I'd say everyone listening, I'd go there now and look over all of this stuff. This is just, this is literally, literally, you'll get on this blog post and you'll have the same level of geek out that I'm having right now because this is just really cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the ServiceNow community over the years has always been, in my experience, a pretty positive place in terms of people wanting to share what they've done and kind of give back uh, to everybody and, and help people out and this is just another way to do that. It's It's been really fun to see. The interaction that we've had is, as I mentioned, it's a lot more than we've had in the past, and that's been really awesome. As somebody whose job it is to make sure the community is is kind of going well and everything, it's been really fun to see. And that code snippet specifically, we do a developer survey every year. So if you're listening to this, we usually put it out at the end of Q1. And so we survey a lot of developers and they tell us you know, what they think about our products and the program and the community and all sorts of things. And the number one piece of feedback we got was that we don't have enough code examples on our API documentation. And okay. so this was one way to say, OK, how do we get more code examples out there? And so this code snippets repo was one of those things. And then at the same time, something that was happening that we weren't actually aware of when we came up with this idea for Hacktoberfest was that there's another program that's run by the docs team that they just went live with where you can formally submit a code example. I think we have about 700 APIs that don't have code examples And uh, you can go in. There's actually a link from the code snippets repo. We have another blog post. I think it's devlink.sn slash code dash example dash program, maybe something like that there's a link from the code snippets repo but you can go in and submit a code example for one of those 700 apis and if it makes it in there i think we'll send you a gift card or a t-shirt or something and you know you'll know that your code made it onto the official documentation so this is both a you know hey we have this repo that anybody can go reference but then there's also Uh, You can actually contribute to the docs. And that's something personally that I would love to see us do more of because I know we have a lot of developers out there who would love to contribute to our documentation and and API
0: examples. Corey, I'm getting like super warm fuzzies about. Do, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? The wiki. Oh. It's kind of like it feels like the old school wiki where you had that back channel account and you can actually talk about what the wiki was saying and oh like i know docs has that stuff you can comment but to actually contribute doing the chef kiss over here yeah
2: <laughs> it's out there go go check it out and you can submit a code example
0: and for those listening we are going to put all the links for all the stuff we're talking about in the description below so just be sure to check that now or at the end of the show
1: This is all interesting stuff, and I'm going to switch gears here a little bit, though, and and ask about source control. It's one of the things that I keep hearing about, these kind of rumors that there's a new way of doing source control or update management in ServiceNow across instances. And uh, I wonder if you're the guy who can give us a little bit more information on, on what the future of this is in ServiceNow.
2: Yeah, I, I can definitely speak to that uh, a little bit. I am a guy that knows some about our, our source control integration. Uh, although we have some people like Andrew Barnes who are always talking to customers about how they can do this a little better. And we do have uh, all, some of the resources we can put in here. We did a, a creator toolbox that kind of shows how you can manage your development through source control. But one of the reasons that I like Hacktoberfest is that it does encourage people to get into GitHub and learn how the process works in GitHub a little bit. Uh, I know for me... When we first came out with the source control integration with GitHub through Studio, it had a lot of limitations at first, but it was still kind of intimidating for me as someone who was not a professional developer who did a lot of source control. And I I think that's true for a lot of ServiceNow developers. We maybe got into ServiceNow and started doing things and we used update sets to capture everything and, and move those things through the stack. Uh, to where we may not have a lot of experience with source control and and it's intimidating. So what this allows you to do is really get into GitHub. The barrier to entry for Oktoberfest is pretty low. Uh, You just have to know how to fork a repo and make a pull request. And there are step-by-step instructions on how to do that. And that introduces you to how these things work in GitHub. And managing uh, your development through source control is really you know where we're headed with the product uh, we've made a lot of enhancements over the last i think four or five releases on what we support through source control. Orlando was a really big, Orlando or Paris was a really big release for us where we started supporting global files through source control. And we did some Delta loading to where previously if you installed an app through source control, it would delete the previous version of the app and then reinstall the new version. And so you'd lose data and things like that. We don't do that anymore. And this really lets you manage your development across multiple development instances. You can use branching and merging to manage different versions of your application. So you can be working on a new feature and then have to do like a bug fix and switch branches and then deploy that branch. Uh, And so source control is really all about making it easier for developers to manage development, especially across different versions. Uh, And then we have the app repo that lets you deploy those applications through your stack. And then the cool part about everything is that it's all automatable, right? So we've got integration hub spokes. There's APIs uh, where you can say, hey, I'm going to commit this to Git. And then you can say, hey, this is committed to Git. I want to automatically run some ATF tests. Uh, and then if everything passes, I want to go ahead and automatically deploy this to my test instance. So this is really where you can do some of that CICD and automate your whole process uh, in terms of development. And hopefully, you know, that reduces the amount of bugs and errors. And, you know, we're still looking at how do we make things easier? How do we make it easier to have more development instances, all, all sorts of things like that. But, you know, managing your development through source control is really the direction where we're going with development. Development.
1: This is amazing. Uh, right. Well, first of all, I, I feel like it, it's it's starting to professionalize the developer in service now. Right. And that might not necessarily be the, the right word to say it. But like you mentioned, we all kind of not everyone, but a lot of us got into service now just kind of by like sideways transition from another position in, mm-hmm. in, um, in IT Something that we weren't necessarily doing, you know, professional development, we kind of got thrown on the platform. It's like, hey, figure this out or, hey, we need someone to do this. And you stick your hand up or you're the only person who has cycles or what have you. And you just kind of figure it out. And eventually you, you realize this thing is like really freaking cool. And then it's six, seven years later. And you're a great ServiceNow developer, but you're not a formally trained developer, right? You you haven't used GitHub and source control and you don't have like this whole background of team based development, you know, with branching and all of those sorts of things. But at the same time, there's been this tension with update sets as well. That as the platform has matured, maybe they just haven't been good enough or trying to make them good enough to accommodate all of the new features in ServiceNow and kind of, you know, with team development and all sorts of things like that. It, it it's felt like something new was needed. And and this feels like a great direction to take the platform in.
0: And I gotta say, in in the last few years, you know, we're trying to attract a lot more professional developers into the ServiceNow ecosystem. And I've heard a lot of not friendly critiques about how, oh, what's this update set stuff? And it's just like, I think what people have to realize is that when this all first came out, like ServiceNow had to invent a way to move its code from instance to instance. I don't think GitHub existed 13 years ago. Maybe I'm showing my ignorance here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but what else were they supposed to do up until now? So it speaks volumes to me that a ship the size of ServiceNow can just move into what has emerged as the standard. And they could do that over the course of a couple of versions.
2: One of the previous dev advocates, I don't remember whether it was Josh or Dave, used to say, we make, we being ServiceNow make the hard things easy and the easy things hard. Uh, And (laughs) and that was referring to like, it's really easy to spin up a new app. You can create a table, you can create a flow, uh, you automatically get a whole bunch of stuff with that that lets you automate this process real quickly. But then when it's time to deploy that thing, wait, I was supposed to do this in an update set? Um, and and so i think what we're working on is making those easy things that are supposed to be easy actually be easy so using source control from the beginning and one of the great things that the source control integration gives you that uh, is not obvious right away is there's this little feature that i love in source control where if you have an app and it could be a scoped app or a global app that's connected to source control and a developer goes in and makes a change to a file in that like a business rule and then a second developer comes along and tries to change it and that first developer has not committed their uh, update to git uh, it'll actually tell you, hey, somebody else worked on this and it's still sitting in the instance and hasn't been deployed to Git. So you can either update it as them or not update it. But it's a little bit more of a, you know, it's not quite file locking and that sort of thing. But we're getting better in in the way of managing multiple updates to, to something where if you're using update sets. Uh, You would not know that that happened until you had an error or you were batching or merging your update sets or whatever you're going to do. So that's a little source control feature that I really like uh, as somebody who's worked on projects in the past where multiple developers are working on the same thing. But there's some little things like that that uh, really make the source control integration powerful.
1: Yeah, I've been in that situation before. And and that (laughs) sounds like a great new feature. Yeah, I mean, you've been on a, on a team, you're going live and you got a bunch of folks and we're all, you know, building all over the place. And now we got to get all of this stuff out of the dev env- environment and the production. And wait, oh, did you work on that business rule? Crap, I worked on that business rule too. Okay, like who, who worked on it last or what did you do? Right. And sometimes the only solution for that is to actually rebuild the business rule to take into account the changes that, you know, developer A made along with the changes that developer B made and then redeploy that as a new update. And that's fine if you only have a couple, right? But when you start getting it to the point where that's scaling into dozens of these things, I mean, it can really hold up an implementation. So yeah, this is great. So as somebody who doesn't have a whole
0: lot of familiarity with Git and source control, is it something where if I'm working on this script include, say I put it up into the repo every day? So
2: generally, the way our source control integration works is you have an app and that app gets committed to Git. So that could be a global app. It could be a scoped app. But when you are, you know, you're you're generally committing it to Git when you have maybe completed a story or, or whatever your development work is. So, mm-hmm. you know, that in terms of like how often you're committing, that's probably more of an organizational philosophy than an across-the-board standardization, although I could be wrong there. But yeah, it is still something that needs to be planned and communicated. Moving from update sets to source control is not going to magically make all of your processes work perfectly. It's going to make it easier for you to have processes that work consistently, I think, but you still need them and, and still need to communicate and have somebody managing that. Yeah, I was make-
0: wondering if it, if it could possibly alleviate any of that, like Corey and I talk about it every once in a while, the whole, you're halfway done and they're like, oh, we're doing a clone. Make sure all your stuff's out in an update set now.
2: Yeah, it definitely helps with that sort of thing. The part you get with source control that you don't get with update sets is the branching. I think they call them like scratch branches sometimes where you create a branch just to hold some of the development you're doing, and then you can switch to your main feature branch and do some bug fix and deploy that and then switch back to the other branch. So GitHub can basically those branches are different versions of your application that GitHub can hold on to more than one of them at once, which is where a lot of the power comes in. Yeah, I
1: love that, that functionality right there. It just gives me like, I could just think of so many times that would have saved my butt in the past, you know, saved a whole bunch of time.
0: So in the green room, you were talking to us about.
1: Only liking red (laughs) M&Ms. I
0: like all M&Ms. Yeah. <laughs> you were talking to us about like source control and the repository being two different concepts and importantly different. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's a great point to come back to. I think there, there are
2: a few different points of confusion uh, when it comes to managing development through source control and the app repo. and One of them is we say app repo and then we say source control, but then... You have a GitHub repo, and there's some confusion there. But what we're saying is, source control is really used for managing your development, right? You've got, uh, you can use branching and do some merging and code reviewing uh, in Git if you're going to do that. And that's really about managing your development, maybe across multiple dev environments, maybe just one. But when it comes time to deploy your application, that's when you can go through the app repo, which is a service now. Specific- specific thing where you publish your app to the repo and then install it on you know your test instance and then your prod instance where update sets were really kind of trying to do both in this new world, quote unquote, you've got source control for managing dev and then app repo app repo for deploying it. And you're also able to automate the deployment of your app through the repo. So that's really the big difference. Uh, app repo is for deployment and source controls for managing dev.
1: Would you say that you, you guys have seen a lot of Uptick in the use of both of these now, or is it still very much in trying to get the word out and get folks to understand that these features are available and that then you know folks should be starting to u- utilize them and in- unlocking this new functionality? Yeah, that's a good question. I-, I don't have
2: any like raw data available to me, so anecdotally, I would say we definitely have customers that are using the source control integration and the app repo, and then we still have a lot of customers using update sets. There are lots of customers that have built their own really impressive systems for automating development using update sets or managing your development and then automating the deployment through update sets. Uh, And so, you know, those all still work. It's just using GitHub and source control unlocks some things that you don't have when you use update sets. So I, I think where we are is in kind of a transition phase where we are trying to do some advertising of this functionality, but we do have some customers that are using it successfully
1: nice
0: okay i got a question for you brad a lot of people are talking about the new ui builder slash seismic and everybody's still trying to figure out what is it what does it do how do i learn it especially you know there's a lot more people saying this is going to be the new normal rather quickly what could you do to, to help our audience get a leg ahead
2: Yeah, so uh, the Now Experience UI Framework uh, is this new uh, UI Framework foundation that we released a a while back. And UI Builder in the Quebec release is kind of a drag and drop, a WYSIWYG way to drag these components that were created using the framework uh, onto a page and they can talk to each other. And there's a lot of power there. It's been a lot of fun for me to get into. I'm kind of a front end guy in terms of where my expertise lies. And so I've been doing a lot of exploration of it. And, you know, I've got a UI Builder Bytes video series that I did on a lot of the Quebec functionality. But we actually have, I think this month, we've got a number of UI Builder modules that are out on the developer site learning area where we have a UI Builder course and then the course has different modules. And we started with the uh, Pages module. And I think we have released two more at this point. There's another one coming out like in the next couple of weeks, and then there's another one being written also. So I think we've got pages, events, data resources. I think we're going to have like client side interactions, EVAM. So if you're looking to learn UI builder, now's a really good time because while I have spent a good amount of time doing UI builder enablement, my enablement is basically like I go in and I learn some things and then i blog and do videos about them and then I learn more things and blog and and do videos about them. It maybe is not the best way to actually learn a thing but it's the easiest way for me to enable a thing but what we have now is we have our professional learning content writers on the dev site excellent at their jobs and that if you've gone into the dev site and taken any of the courses they are you know full-on doing ui builder content right now so if you go into the dev site and click on learn you know, you'll get a list of courses one of them says ui builder and you can go in and look at the i think currently three or four modules and that's going to grow to, I think, five or six by the end of the year. So there's a lot more content available over the last month. I think we're going to have a Now Learning UI Builder Fundamentals course at some point this Mm. year. So that'll be there as well. So we're really ramping up on on UI Builder. And then UI Builder will also get a lot of product updates as well over the
1: next uh, few releases. Man, I I felt like, how did you guys know right, that this was needed (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, just like diving into you, the UI builder and like I haven't really u- utilized it much. I've been a little intimidated by it, to be quite honest. So when I when I hear all of this enablement that's going on around it on the developer side and the learning and the courses that are, and the fundamentals and, you know, all of this stuff that's being packaged around it, to kind of get you up to speed on it. But yeah, I'm, that makes me really happy, to be honest. Me too. <laughs> me too. As I, as, as, you know, I've done a lot of it, but
2: when we get our professional learning content people in there building on it, that that's when I'm, it makes me real happy. Uh, we're going to have some really good content.
0: How accessible do you think UI Builder is going to be? Is it kind of an everyman tool or is it? more a pro coder tool?
2: That's a good question. I would say right now, it's probably not quite a like no code tool. You know, it's not at the same level as App Engine Studio is where I can point a lot of people at App Engine Studio and they can come in and figure out how to build a working app pretty easily. So I don't think it's something where you can just point like a low code user and have them build an experience really quickly. It does take some time learning how it works. But I would say the level of code required is much lower than something like service portal. So, you know, service portal, if you really want to make it do something that's outside of you know, all of the widgets that you have, you have to build custom widgets and then you have to get into AngularJS. And so I think with UI Builder, there's not quite the level of coding required. Although there is some complexity and learning curve in it, figuring out how it works and that's going to get easier. The UI Builder team, I'm pretty close to them and they're aware of where the complexities lie and working on making it less complex and more accessible.
1: So you mentioned a uh, service portal in there, and that made me think of something I was thinking about earlier in our conversation. And the fact that you mentioned that you're a front end guy and, you know, I started put two and two together. And there's a lot of ServiceNow front ends at this point. Which one is your favorite?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I like change. I like new stuff. So I think my favorite is UI Builder just because of what I'm able to do with it without heavily writing code. So we did a Creator Toolbox episode over the summer where I took the, I think it was the custom widget training from the dev site, which was actually... It was a creator con lab that I wrote probably four or five years ago on building like a notes app in service portal by using a couple of custom widgets that talk to each other. And, uh, and then they I kind of I was in that one. <laughs> yeah. They kind of turned that into the, the training and made it a lot better and everything and turned it into the training. And so we actually replicated that on a, like a 40 minute creator Toolbox episode where our app did functionally the same thing as the service portal thing. And we had written maybe three lines of code or something. It was, it was a lot less code. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was kind of neat to like take that thing that I had done a while back and replicate it quicker than I could have done it if I tried to replicate it in Service Portal right now from memory. And yeah, so I, I think UI Builder is probably my favorite. You know, I'll always have kind of a sweet spot for CMS because that's really where I cut my teeth in the in the ServiceNow ecosystem. My my first knowledge presentation, I think, was at Knowledge Ten. Uh, on a CMS, and so I, I built out a lot of CMS portals for customers back in the day. But I do really enjoy using UI Builder.
1: So you you were deep in the in the bowels of Jelly back in the day. That's, that's right.
2: <laughs> all the I was all over the slightly loony blog posts uh, on the oh, community, man. and yeah, that, that was. Uh, People
0: don't even know about slightly those, loony anymore. Yeah.
1: So one more question, um, Brad, because we're getting we're getting uh, approaching time here. But one of the things. That I wanted to ask, and and Duke and I have talked about this before on the, on the podcast here. How do you stay on top of all of the new development that's coming down the pipe? Here and on this side of ServiceNow, I'd say the outside of ServiceNow, right? Like we have, it's, it's really hard to keep up with the pace of innovation. And I love the pace of innovation, right? I'm all about new and shiny and making things better. But when it comes down to it, like it's really hard to To really say, okay, I'm an expert in a certain percentage of the platform like I could five years ago. How do you how do you keep up?
2: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the platform is so big now compared to where it was back when I would, you know, the day that they released the new release notes on the wiki, I was just in there looking at every single problem that was closed and what the thing was. And, you know, I would read all of the release notes. And that that's not even a thing I could dream about at this point because the, the platform's so big. But for me personally, I am focused on building apps on the platform, so I generally don't keep up with ITSM and CSM and HR and all of those things that are outside of building apps on the platform. But even then, it's really difficult for me to stay up to date with, with what's new with the platform. So I kind of start with what's new with Studio, what's new with App Engine Studio, Flow Designer Integration Hub. And I'll you know look at release notes. I, I still the first thing I do is read release notes when they make them available to us, which is a little bit earlier than customers and partners. And then we do some internal enablement that so we actually have a lot of internal enablement at different points in the development process that I've actually had to stop myself from, like UI Builder, I am really interested in. So I kind of have to keep myself from looking too much at what's coming out in the future in UI Builder because it may or may not actually make it into the release. But yeah, I, I just kind of have to narrow what it is that I'm interested in learning about. And, you know, a lot of my job right now and Chuck and Earl is we do a lot of new release enablement and so we have to figure out all right, what's all the new stuff? And then, okay, what is the new stuff that developers are going to care about? And then also like, what are the, what's the new stuff that they may not think they need to care about, but they really do need to care about. And we need to especially amplify those things. So a lot of my time is spent on learning the new things coming out, talking to product teams and talking to developers. I think sometimes we think something's going to be really obvious. And then you start talking to developers and it's, not that obvious. And we know that we need to spend more time enabling that area. So yeah, I think specializing is about the only way to do that at this point. You, The platform's too big to stay on top of everything.
1: Yeah, it's kind of what forwards. I figured. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, guys, we are at time. Corey, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, how would they do it?
1: Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn at Corey Wesley. I accept practically every connection request. Uh, you can also find me at techvalia.com where we do practically everything service net related.
0: And you can reach me at www.theduke.digital. There you can find my upcoming course, Hired, the Definitive Guide to Profiles that Win ServiceNow Now Jobs. And Brad, how would they reach out to you?
2: I am on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter at whatever the thing is slash Brad Tilton. And <laughs> I also accept pretty much all requests and feel free to reach out to me. LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to send me a message or something, but I always respond. And even if I don't know the answer to something, I will usually tell you where to go to try to find your answer.
0: All right. Thanks for joining us, Brad. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, thanks
2: lot, guys. Brad. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.